Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's episode five. It's really wonderful to have you here. Let's get into it. It's Maddie C. Welcome back to What Am I Making, the podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm really well. How are you? I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I'm, I don't hope you're good. I hope you're well. Again, I'm the son of an English teacher. I hope that you are well. So welcome back to the pod. It is wonderful to have you here. As always, I appreciate so much that you hit play on this and that you've decided to be a part of this conversation and I hope this community. Uh, just a couple of quick things before we get to the main event. Um, last week, I dropped episode four, which is a conversation that I had with the author and journalist uh, and former professor Jared Yates Sexton. It was a great talk. Jared was really kind and shared it with his rather healthy Twitter followers. And within just three days, it became the most listened to episode in the brief history of our little pod. Yay! We make our little Muppet applause sound. Yay, everybody do it. Just clap from wherever you are. Unless you're driving, do a one-handed clap or a little little Feeny beatnik snap. The There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's how we celebrate. So that's five episodes. Uh, this is five episodes, and then the last one, the fourth one, with uh, a big hitter in three days. That's really good. Now, that's an example of what uh, having a guest like Jared Yates Sexton can do for our audience. He shares that out. It hits a number of people, a number of those people then turn around and they find our show and they listen and then they in turn maybe maybe even subscribe to the pod or even maybe they give a free subscription to the, 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 the Substack or maybe even they offer a paid subscription, which we will talk about in a minute. But the point is that even if you don't have a following like Jared Yates Sexton, you don't have tens of thousands of followers. You probably got a bunch of friends and you probably have a couple of them that dig what we're doing here. And so this is an example of how you can help. So please make sure that you are sharing anything you appreciate on the show or over on the Substack, and make sure you're putting it up on the social media outlet of your choice, that you're texting it to friends, and that you're trying to make sure that they share it. I'm not asking you to do this with everything I do or all the time, or if you're not crazy about anything that I'm writing, then don't share any of it. But I suspect if you're here, some of this must be of interest to you, and the more you share it, the more eyeballs it will reach and the more likely it is we can reach a sustainable audience. So that's one way that you can help. So that was one big thing that happened over at the pod uh, this past week. The other was that on Wednesday, I um, I uh, published an essay that my mother had written about the first official date that she ever had with my father. And it was in response to a discussion that I had posted in the first few weeks of the, the first couple weeks of the, the Substack. And I asked people on a Friday afternoon just to kind of have a little bit of fun and create a conversation. What was your favorite live concert experience? And I knew what my mom's was. And my mom's answer is better than yours, and it's better than mine. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. I want you to go over to the Substack and read her words. But in essence, that night solidified a 50-year marriage for two people. 
it built a life that led to me and my sister and gave us all a, a life and an existence that we should be eternally grateful for. And it all happened because my parents fell in love with each other at the same time they were in love with the music of these other two people. And that connection helped them to get over the fear of the unknown of starting a relationship with a new person. At a time in your life when you feel scared about everything, but hopeful about everything too. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. And I'd heard it dozens and dozens of times. But I did not expect or ask for my mom to write that and to share that with me, let alone to share it with all of you. We lost my dad, as many of you know, really suddenly in August of 2020, just five days after my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And so... This was an opportunity for my mom to sort of use that as a springboard for how it all began. And the way she tells that story is really simple and really succinct and incredibly beautiful. And clearly it's it's touched a lot of you because so many of you have reached out to me directly with such incredibly kind words about that story and that night and the way that she wrote about it. And I've shared all of those with her and I will continue to do that as they come in. But it's an example of how when I put those ideas out there and I ask people to have these conversations, it sparks reactions and conversations, and in this case, essays, that never would have existed without it. That story would have been there, but it would maybe not have written, been written down and saved for future gener generations. And it felt like an affirmation of the work that I'm doing here. Not just because it was something that I got from my mother, but that it came unsolicited. And that then when I felt comfortable enough to ask her if I could post it, and I did, so many of you reacted with such genuine and heartfelt emotional comments. And it was really beautiful. And it's been really meaningful to me and to her and to our whole family. And so it's just one more example of how opening ourselves up and sharing and really thinking about why we care about what we care about and how we can do that a little more deliberately. It just, it felt like a real affirmation, like I said, of the work that I've been doing here. So it's been a good week and I really liked the way the week shook out and, and I left it, I left it as a podcast on Monday and an essay on Wednesday because I wanted to see if that felt like enough. And I don't mean for all time. I just mean for a week. Because I want to try a new schedule. I want to commit to giving you a new episode of a podcast every Monday for at least the next 90 days. We're going to call it season one. We're going to include the first four episodes that have already been done, the one you're listening to today, and everything now that we release once a week every Monday through the end of June. So we'll have a new pod every Monday morning, and every Wednesday I will release a longer-form article or essay, kind of like the Simon and Garfunkel thing or like much of the other work I've already been doing over at the Substack. And that will be guaranteed content that will come out and be available for subscribers of all levels, free, up to founding member, for the next 90 days. It'll be available for free after that probably, but it, it, it will be work on that schedule for the next three months, through the end of June, basically. I've basically learned 
a way to do this in a way that is manageable because I have to set some guidelines. Otherwise, I will just work myself to death. So I think that I can provide really good, effective, consistent content of high quality that seems to be resonating with people with a weekly podcast episode and at least one weekly essay. Now, there will be other stuff, things like the album artwork machine, which I'm trying to figure out when to do it, how often to do it, and the best way to make that work. It seems like a fun thing. I don't know how often we want to do it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on stuff like that and other things that I've maybe dipped my toe into. It's about trying to find a sustainable path. I'm also really interested in trying some new ideas that I haven't had a chance to really kind of wrap my head around yet. And maybe if I dedicate myself to this schedule, I can dedicate a little other time to some other things that right now seem like they have to be on the back burner because I don't really know what each day is supposed to look like. Now I do. And for a dude with ADHD, I'm learning that systems like this are really good for my mental health. But they're also a way for me to be accountable to you and to me. For me to say, hey, I want your support. I need your help. Will you, will you help me? Will you sign up? Will you subscribe? Will you share this? Will you treat this like a consistent professional entity? If I'm going to do that and I'm going to ask for those things, I need to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm going to give you for that. And so for the next 90 days, this is the schedule. I'd love to know what you think about it. It appears that these are the two things, the podcast and the longer essays, that are the things that are resonating most with people and the things that seem to bring the most value based on the time that I invest into them. They're also the things that I think I probably find the most exciting and rewarding as well, and maybe there's a correlation there. I don't know. But I also want to keep doing other work. Like one of the things I really want to do is I want to find some time to figure out why does everybody still use Ticketmaster? It's awful. It sucks. It's outrageous. It's, it's greedy. They're terrible. It's ineffective. No venues are firing them, though. Everybody still uses them. Cure doesn't want to use them, but if they're going to go play large venues in the summer in North America, you got to use Ticketmaster, and Ticketmaster's going to screw with you. I'd love to find out why that system works the way it is. Is it corruption? Is it greed? Is it laziness? Is it avarice? Is it politics? Is it something else? I don't know. I want to find out. But that's going to take some time, and that means it's going to take some money. And so I need your help, and I'm just going to keep saying it. So these are the kinds of things I want to spend my time on, but I can do that, and I can still get you one really good pod and one really good essay a week. And then when I have time for more stuff and I can publish it, I'm going to do that. If you have ideas of things you'd like to see more regularly that I've been doing or that I've talked about or that you think I'd be great for but I haven't even considered, send me an email Get a hold of me over at the Substack. Find me on social media. Whatever you need to do, let me know. Again, what am I making.substack.com. You can find all the contact info in there. You can also find my bands, the Stickarounds and Harbor Coat, over on all of the social media outlets. So to bring this all back around to where this little section began, I cannot do this work without your support, specifically without your financial paid subscription. So I would really ask, really humbly and gratefully, that if you haven't already done so, that you consider a paid subscription. There's three different ways that you can do that. You can jump in and pay six bucks a month. You can save a little bit of money and pay 60 bucks a year. That works out to five bucks a month. Or you can become a founding member at $300 a year. Now, I know that's a lot of money. But for some of you out there, that may not be life-changing money. That may not change your, your week, your month, your year. Let me put this in a little context for you. If there were 300 listeners who each gave me $300, 
that would fully fund a full year of my work and I wouldn't need to worry about any other income at all. I'm not expecting that. But that's the truth. That's just a simple example of perspective of what a little bit of money, relatively speaking, can do to support an endeavor like this. And yes, I know that you have other services that you're already paying for who are giving you a ton of value and a ton of content for a few bucks a month. I can't compete with that. I'm one dude. But I like to believe I'm having conversations and talking about ideas and thinking about things and maybe doing them in a way that are unique to me. And clearly that must be resonating with some of you based on the feedback I'm getting. So whether you're a founding member or a first-time listener, I need your support. You can become a monthly member, a yearly subscriber, or a founding member. Any financial support you can give is certainly greatly appreciated. If you don't have the ability to support financially, still make sure that you're sharing everything you can on social media outlets and telling your friends about it. Please make sure that you are sharing the pod, that you're liking it, that you're reviewing it, and that you're making sure that you're telling everybody that you know that this is out there and that it's a thing they might be into. Email some articles. Send a text now and again. Again, hit this stuff up on the socials. The more you talk to people, the more we can judge the algorithm because apparently you can't just make good work. You have to massage a fucking algorithm. That's the world that we live in. Anyway, thank you again to all of you who have already contributed. Thank you to everybody who has had kind things to say about this work so early on in the venture. Your support is incredibly humbling and moving and powerful. And I cannot tell you, I mean, I hear from somebody several times a week, people reach out and they tell me, hey, man, I just want to let you know I really like this or I really think the work you're doing is great. Keep it up. It means a lot. It really, really does. Now, at a certain point, we got to keep the lights on. But I will say that if that's all you can offer, it does an immense amount of good for me. So if you're enjoying what you're seeing, everything you can do to share it and spread the word is almost as valuable as your actual dollars. But again, if you have actual dollars, you could send them to me. That'd be, that'd be aces. What am I making? Substack.com. Go sign up for a membership now. Let's get on to my guest today. That's why you're here, not to listen to me beg for money. Andrew Sansta is one of those people that makes the cultural clock of a community tick. It's really rare to go into an event in my beloved city of Lansing, Michigan, uh, when I know he's in town and not see his boyish grin surrounded by a gray beard bouncing across the room somewhere. He's not just a man about town, though. He's not just a guy who's out to be seen or to party or to get attention or to maybe even drum up enthusiasm and excitement for his own work. Now, usually he's there to support somebody else, to strengthen and sustain somebody else's creative vision, somebody else's work, somebody else's somebody else's art, because that's the kind of person that Andrew Sands that is. If you've got a vibrant entertainment and an art scene in your community, you probably have some version of an Andrew Sands that, so to speak. He's that guy that volunteers to do all the tedious bullshit nobody else wants to do behind the scenes. There's no glory to it. He's the one that shows up early. He stays late. Everybody else has left and bailed for bed or better options or the bar. There he is, still hanging in there, building stuff, making stuff, creating stuff, fixing stuff, hyping stuff, supporting stuff, building stuff up, stitching a scene together. Now that endurance and commitment and attention 
to something important like a community of artists would be an amazing attribute to any city. But Andrew is also a supremely talented visual artist in his own right. His metal sculptures have won numerous awards. They've been featured at a wide variety of festivals and galleries. He's even won the top prize at Lansing's prestigious annual Scrap Fest twice in the large piece category. That's works of more than 500 pounds. And he's placed second on at least two other occasions. Somehow he has learned over his life to transform tossed away scrap metal into butterflies that land ever so gently on a vine and then ribbon up to a tree or an arbor or a branch. He takes discarded saw blades and repurposes them into trophies for a beard competition or for a community event as though their eternal destiny from the moment of their creation was to end up on someone's mantle as a work of a Sandstead original. There's a tractor part and a series of bolts and weird other mechanical paraphernalia that Andrew manufactured one day into a little Art Deco statue that sits here in Machetio. He's really only limited by his tools, the raw material he can acquire in his imagination. His work is incredibly well regarded within the arts community in the area, and he shows and sells his pieces regularly at events in Michigan and the Midwest throughout the year. The act of creation for Andrew is probably a perfect metaphor for what he does for our community. He takes pieces of what we all do, that we sometimes think is scrap, and then he shows it back to us by engaging with it constantly, by being there, by being a constant human presence of encouragement. But he doesn't live that life out of duty or because he thinks he'll get some eventual reward from it. He does it because he loves it. He does it because it's what's important. He does it because these are the things that make him love life. He knows that if he fails to engage like this, the things that he love, loves might go away. And so he's always creating, always building, and most importantly, he's always giving. As he says in this conversation, you cannot out-give. I'm a notorious talker and a loudmouth. I'm always the guy who good-naturedly keeps you standing in the driveway for 15 minutes because it's just really nice to see you, and I'm interested in how you are. But that 15 minutes can quickly become an hour if I'm not careful. Andrew may be the only person I've ever met that I could accurately describe as a bigger talker than myself. It was inevitable that this thing was going to meander all over hell. And I, I knew that given our tendency for chattiness and the wide range of issues that I wanted to talk about, it was going to be tough to, to stay on course, but I, I think we did a pretty good job listening back. I did edit a few things down for brevity, and I, I cut a couple sections out, and I tried to make sure it wasn't too Lansing and local-centric. But I think we maintained the clarity and the, the focus of the discussion. And I think at the heart of that discussion, you'll find is, is Andrew's sobriety of 11 years and how that journey has shaped his worldview perhaps more than any other experience and how that whole process is the fulcrum for this episode and frankly the person that andrew is today we discuss what the path of recovery looked like for him how he learned during his stint of inpatient rehab what it was like to set up successful habits and as he put it stack the deck so that maybe the day and the week and the the, the month and the life would get easier it dovetails really nicely with a lot of the daily practices that i've preached about here uh, he and I talk about taking care of yourself and making time for your own art, even when you might make a decision that means saying no to something else that doesn't make sense to your friends or your family. 
that claiming your time doesn't have to be something that you have to justify for other people. How to find time to, as he puts it, leave room at the margin so that we have time to just breathe a little bit and enjoy life. There are going to be some moments where we're going to talk about the city of Lansing where uh, Andrew and I both live and have lived for a really long time with some degree of specificity. But I don't want you to get too lost or think we're going to get into the weeds. If you've got a arts community in your neighborhood or in your town, it's probably going to have many of the same issues and challenges and successes that Lansing is having. So think of this really sort of as an example. Things might change a little bit, the names, the faces, the places, but the ideas are the same. I even joke here in this conversation, and it's a, a joke that's actually written by my friend Jake McCarthy, um, that Lansing's Old Town section has a real Stars Hollow vibe. For those of you who haven't seen the Gilmore Girls, that one might have flown uh, northward of your head a little bit. But essentially, it's a quirky, eccentric neighborhood with lots of quirky, eccentric people and shops. Y you, you get the idea. Your, your town's got one. And if you haven't seen the Gilmore Girls, it's not awful. You should go check it out. Now, since I began this show, I said that I wanted to find a way to shine a light on my own experience of trying to make a living and a life in the arts and to try to build a community and to talk about the people that I see in my world doing these kinds of things, doing this kind of work. Andrew is an example of exactly the kind of person that I'm talking about. He is an example of an asset that we could all have access to because of his enthusiasm, his encouragement, and his energy. And all we got to do is just open ourselves up to it and go find the Andrew Sandstedt in our towns. It's not just an opportunity to get to do stuff with somebody like Andrew. It's a gift. It's a gift to have somebody like that who cares that much about what he does and what you do and the city and the community in which you both get to do it. And I'm, I'm so privileged and humbled and happy that he's my friend and that he helps me to make my city more of the place that I want to live and that I want other people to come and that I'm proud to, to share with people. In classic Maddie C. and Andrew Sandstadt style, we just immediately jumped into it without me even having a chance to set up levels and check mics. And so literally, I, I hit record and started kind of setting up Andrew's mic to get going and then making sure that mine was pretty good while he was talking. And so there's no intro. There's no nothing. You literally are getting dropped into this like you opened up the door in the shedio and walked right in. But what I've already told you is enough. So without any further babbling, here is my conversation with artist, metal sculptor, and my very dear friend, Andrew Sanstead. But I'm like, at some point, it was like, you know, and I didn't give him my whole thing, but I, in the back of my mind, I'm going like, well, I got divorced at 41, like financially zeroed out because right. it's like, I'd had, I said, I had to get to a point where like, I had to completely start over. I didn't go into debt. I kept all, like, like I kept the wheels on the bus. Sometimes it's like, like my boys don't always know everything. Like sometimes the weeks when they were at their mom's, like, like, you know what? I had a bowl of cereal for dinner. 
That's right. It. And I sat on my couch and I watched the movies because I couldn't. I didn't have any money until my next. Picture. Right, you can't go anywhere. But I've progressively, well, look at now to there. It's like, oh, that's a huge up climb. It's because you got to get up every day. To get up every day and be like, okay, what are you gonna do? Like, I'm gonna either, you know, I was like, you could. And how do you pull up from it? And everyone's at a different level. And I and like, I always stress to people like him and my kids. I'm like, listen, your feelings are valid. I'm not trying to diminish. Like, you're going to feel what you feel. And that is, you have to embrace that. It's not right or wrong. It's your, like, own that. But at the right. same time, I mean, that is a reference point to know. Like, if you if you choose to just stay there with it. Like, I wish I could remember the um, – there's an Eckhart Tolle quote that is really great. And basically the essence of it is uh, our level of happiness depends primarily on how we react to what happens to us in our lives. Now, we're all going to – you know, he – I mean that's essentially a paraphrased version of what he said. I mean in the way I have interpreted that – and this is a lesson I've just recently been willing to hear. Yeah. You know, I mean – for a long time, my whole life probably, I didn't want to hear that lesson. Yeah. I didn't want to hear that I was responsible for the way that I felt because that felt like it was an invalidation of what I was going through emotionally and because right. I didn't understand it. It was so – all of that shit is wrapped up in there. But I think you're right in that like, look, what you're dealing with is valid, but nobody can fix this for you. No. It cannot be fixed. You have to understand that better than most people because of your path through sobriety. Right. Right. So do you think you see it that way a little bit? Do you think yeah, that's part I mean, of it? It's your I mean, it's some of the, like you hear the like the phrases and the terminology, especially from a recovery community of like, hey, it is what it is. And sometimes I think you could say that and have it sound trite and surfacey, but also it's like there's a lot of things like I'm dependent upon the sun coming back up tomorrow <laughs> to do that. I have zero control over that. I'm assuming it's going to, I'm going to live my day assuming it's not going to end tonight, and we're going to go into eternal darkness. It's going to come back around. And, and, if, probably... it, and if it did end, and we did go into eternal darkness, yeah. there wouldn't be a damn thing you could do about it. No. I so why? Control. So I think what you're saying is it's a little bit like the serenity prayer, yeah. right? Uh, you know, it's grant me the the ability to change the things that I can, yeah. and the wisdom to know the difference, yeah. or you know, whatever the the paraphrase is. Um, I I think the is what it is. I think. Uh, like all that self-help stuff comes with a lot of sort of like uh, hippy dippiness attached. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of flightiness and yeah. a lot of like, ooh, that's fun for a while, and then I'll shift to this thing. Yeah. So it all kind of seems sort of like phony and kind of airy yeah. and not real. But like, I think as I've kind of gone through the last few months, I've really kind of opened up to this idea of like, things are going to change, things are going to shift, yeah. and there isn't anything you can do but learn how to roll with it in the yeah. best way possible. And know what you can actually have the most influence on on yourself i'm like like yeah we have significant other spouses kids co-workers friends that we can have an influence on their life yeah and can make a difference in their life but if you're not actively saying well i need to make it like that's why it starts with yourself on these things because if you're if you like it's like the same thing with flying all the time hey if you're going the plane's going down secure your own life vest first your own mask then help those around you because like all of a sudden well one of us and can make it but if the other one doesn't and I think on that same level is like when I went to uh, inpatient rehab my men's group facilitator one of the phrases he and I use this phrase all the time in so many things especially with my kids but the things he would always say every time we had a session three days a week and the, he would every single time he'd always use this phrase 
stack the deck in your favor. He said, every day you get up, there's a lot of things that you're going to have zero control over, but there's a lot of things that you do. And he's like, you can either choose to get up at 6 a.m., make your coffee, take your shower, have a little bit of margin before you leave for work, or you can rush at 6.45 and then you're rushing to get to work and now I'm late for work and now I'm behind on this. And I, but, but I had control. Like I could have, like, did I have to stay up and watch that extra episode on Netflix last night? Right. Or could I have said, you know, it's 10.30, I'm going to bed. I'm barely staying awake. Let me crash out, go to bed now, get a good night's sleep, start my day. Or, man, am I scrolling my phone till midnight and like, jeez, oh, I got I got that. Like I could have said no to that. And, and I think it's there's so many things – it's all those little things that seem trivial, but you start developing discipline in those areas. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, 10 o'clock comes. I just put my alarm on. I don't even look at my phone now. And now I'm a – and that's the stuff I can control. And But we want – all the stuff that we can control are the things that we're quick to say like, well, I've, you make an excuse and you're like, well, wait a minute. Did you do this, 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 and this? And you're like, oh, no. Well – one of those things might have been a factor. Um, <laughs> in that, right? I, I am I am a living example of this, and again, it's hard not to sound trite and corny, right. but like I decided a few weeks ago that I was going to build these like handful of things into my day every day, yeah. and there were going to be some of them that I was going to do first thing. And so every day I get up, I make my bed, I either fully shower or at the very least wash my face, I, I brush my teeth, uh, I take all my meds, I make coffee. And I get, and I, uh, I don't know if I said that I got dressed, but like I make my, I never made my bed before, not not routinely. Yeah. I have felt better since I have in the twelve weeks or whatever yeah. it's been since I started doing this. I feel better because it's it's almost like building your own forward momentum for the day. Right. Well, it's it's something for like, like for me, my highest levels of satisfaction with anything I do, and I think being a visual artist for me and having had my own painting business for years. Is it's because for me, it's enough of the instant gratification of like I walked into this situation five hours ago and I went from this to this. I can literally get to the end of the day or end of a project and be like, geez, an hour ago I had this pile of metal and now I've got six of these. Or this room was all off white and now it's all blue. Or now like and so you see the and then and the and it translates down to those little things like, geez, I just I woke up this I feel like I did anything this morning. When you could say like, well, Got dressed, brushed my teeth, made my bed. Like already, you've been like, I'm already on a roll. I've already yeah. got things that I feel because we want to feel productive. And what's really funny is, uh, before I started doing them every day, they felt like mountainous tasks. Sure, I can get all of those things done in a half an hour if I shower. Yeah. And if I don't, if I just wash my face and brush my teeth, less time than that. Yeah. Right. So, um, like, it's thirty minutes. I was already budgeting at least that much time to get ready anyway. Right. Now I'm just doing it with purpose. Exactly. And and that's part of like this whole – honestly, it's part of this whole project. It's this idea of like, you know, what am I making? What am I, what am I building? You know, we've all heard that, that Gandhi quote, you know, be the change in the world you want to see. Yeah. And it feels like we have to go out and create something new. And really all we have to do is just change what we're already right. doing. If we don't like something in our world or in ourselves or in our house, we just have to shift our behavior a little bit. And what you're talking about with like these little daily rituals of like, you know, me making my bed or you saying, you know, I'm going to get up and, and, you know, like what's the adage that they always tell uh, addicts with cigarettes? Don't say I'm never going to have a cigarette again for the rest of my life. Wake up and say I'm not going to have a cigarette today. Yeah. Because you can do today. 
Yeah. You can't do the rest of your life. It just doesn't, your brain doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you can't get up every day and go, I'm not going to have a drink today. You can do that. You can't get up yep. and go, I'm never going to have a drink again. I mean, you can. And after having done it for how many years? Just at 11. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when you've done it for 11 years, it probably does feel like you can do it forever. Sure. You know? But it, it, it didn't always feel that way. Of course not. It's still even in that, like, that honeymoon phase of, like, I'm sober. I've never got a drink again. Like, everybody, like, you see that at all. Like, you go to meetings or things and you see all of that group of people. And then it's like, oh, that guy's back in rehab again. Or, like, when I went to rehab, someone's like, this is my fifth time here or whatever. It's like, so, like, people have, like, all these good intentions and starts. But it's the, oh. it's the discipline of... And I mean, I remember go, like one of the things I learned, and I've tried to kind of like give this to my kids as well. Is like, why why does school start at the same time? Why is it so early? I say, you know, the biggest thing when I went to rehab is like we had roll call every day, and then it was like they had roll call, and then breakfast was a half hour later, and our first session was until an hour after that. It's like everyone was like, well, we have to get up so early. It's like. It's the, it's like you know what you've had no discipline and you've had unchecked <laughs> boundaries and all all these things you're gonna do one thing a day that you're responsible for we're gonna start the day out that way and so in a way do you this... think you found the almost military nature of that to be helpful for you at that point in your recovery I think so because I, I uh, you know it's like one of my favorite and I don't know the exact quotes or but like um, I really love the movie The Last Samurai and some people are like. I have some friends like, oh, I hate Tom Cruise. I'm never going to watch it, right? Because you know, I was like, you know what? Put, if, if you don't like it, put it aside because parts of that movie for me are so beautiful. Um, even his character development, it's like, okay, sometimes you're like, yeah, maybe he's not my favorite actor. But the story of it to me is really moving. But there's there's this particular scene where this guy is doing uh, bonsai. Right? He's trimming the tree. And there's this dialogue between these characters. And he was like, yeah, first I know – I hated this because I wasn't good at it. And then I started doing it and it became better at it. And now I'm, I've gotten better at it. So now I love it because I love it. Now I want to do it. And so sometimes that action does precede that. But like that discipline. I have a black and white personality. It's all yeah, or nothing. Right. So um, especially when I let my inner mind take over, when I let my anxiety run yeah. rampant, it's the worst possible outcome or it could have been the best possible outcome, and there is no, there's yeah. no middle ground whatsoever. And so, for somebody like me who's sort of felt that and didn't really recognize it in any effective way, that I understood yeah. what it was doing to my choices and the way that I saw the world. Um, in many respects, learning this small, steady progress thing yeah. is especially difficult because you go. Well, I've never done it that way. And so much has worked out, right. right? Like, yes, there are things I want to improve, but like you have to go, yeah, I have to give up all the things that I'm comfortable with. Sure. So, but again, I just did it. I don't have to give them all up. Right. I just said that, you know? Yeah. Like but, I switched. But like with... adding that in has, it, yeah, it requires a lot of faith. And now that I'm seeing it, it's like, oh, why wasn't I doing this 20 years ago? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the process of getting there, you're like, gosh, I wish I would have known this, but what I've been I wasn't in a place to like be ready to try that back then, right? Like, no, like I think no. that, like you're, we're. I mean, my creative writing teacher in college. I mean, one of his best quotes was like, someone was like, said something about maturity. He's like, he's like, man, you're only mature when you when you die. Like it's a growth process. It should be a growth process, right up until the end. You know, he said even dying is a maturing. You're still not. It was just like wow, and it's like the whole life. But like both things, black or white, right? The older I get, especially like. 
growing up the way I did in my household and a lot of my other friends that grew up in like in these very like church going religious households, everything was black and white, right? It's like you can't do oh, this yeah. or this, right? But then the older I get, it's like life's way more gray. There's a and there's all shades of varying shades of gray, and you become much more. You have to be. So not only embrace it, but like thrive in it. Like I can, like, it's okay. It's like, there's a lot of things I don't understand or question. And sometimes the older you get like, man, this makes even less sense now. But Um, when you can accept that, right? Yeah. I think like, I can't um, figure this out and that's okay. (laughs) One of the things that's really interesting is again, in addition to some of the, like sort of self-help terminology that I've recoiled from that my lizard brain is like, don't be that guy. You know, like I'm also now learning little snippets and reading little bits about certain tenets in Eastern philosophy and in Buddhism specifically and going, Oh shit, that makes a lot of sense. You know, like, um, there's this, uh, there's this author and, uh, and Buddhist nun named Pema Chodron. And she has this idea of things falling apart. And she basically said, again, I'm just going to paraphrase, but she basically says, look, you, there's no cure. There's no fix for anything. Things come together, they fall apart, and that happens again and again and again. Mm-hmm. We don't control it. It's sort of – she doesn't say this, but in essence what she's saying is this is the way the universe breathes. Yeah. You know? Um, and so in some respects that that's terrifying, but it's – because I think a lot of us, especially growing up in America at the time we did, it was about this idea of, oh, no, somebody's going to take care of you. Like there's a military-industrial complex, and they're going to keep you from the bad Russians and um, – <laughs> You know, Jesus is going to keep you from the devil, and money's going to keep you from unhappiness. Yes. You know, I mean, we were children of the 80s. And now what we're learning is that that's all just made-up bullshit. Right. You know, or at least I'm learning that. Oh, I mean, I think I, I, mean, I think I knew it all along. But, like, now I'm finally going, oh, yeah, really, I wasn't just posturing as a 15-year-old. It really is a bunch of made-up bullshit. Yeah. And so, in a way, that's scary. Well, I think a lot of us know that it always was. But to but at the time but to admit but it, you like I can't I, I can't, can't admit that, that to myself. Right. No. no, that's too it's, frightening. Yeah, it it's, is. It's fucking terrifying, Andrew. Well, I I think that was like, and you see all the things that people post on social media with like all the different generational oh, things. Sure, but yeah. there's a lot of them. Like some of them are complete. Like yeah, this is a generalization. But there there is a. I think there's so much to glean out of some of that things. And I think like we're we're born like we are right in the middle of like that Gen X. We, thing, we are. Right? And there are so many things of, I mean, from lifestyle and philosophy. We were the first. We were the, everything we were the first true latchkey kids. It's very unique. We were the first true latchkey kids. Yeah. Okay. We were the first generation to largely have both parents in the workforce. And we came home off the bus or out of a car or a, you know, a bike or walked home from school. And we came home to an empty house. Oftentimes, in my case, as an older child to look after a younger sibling. So I was not only a latchkey kid, I was a caregiver part of my day. Sure. You know, and it was just part of what was expected. So as a 12-year-old, I'm taking care of my, at the time, four-year-old sister for an hour in the afternoon. Yeah, I mean, my brother and I are two years apart. Same thing, like, junior high age is like, my parents like, hey, we're going to dinner on Friday with friends. Right. Like, like, here, you guys go get a, you know, watch a movie. And who takes care of you? Dominoes and TV. Yeah. You know, and so we are also a generation, the... I think truly the first generation really raised on technology. Like our parents' generation certainly had, you know, television and radio and certain things. And then there were, you know, obviously 
generations previous to that. But I think we were the first generation where, first of all, technology changed almost monthly. That was the first time that had really happened. Right. Where like you had a ColecoVision, and then you had an Atari, and then you had a little thumb football game, and then you had the you know the the vibrating football players that, that went you know it was just yeah. all this other all this shit that came out all at once. It was all this weird variations of of this nascent technology. I, I was I chuckle all the time, especially traveling so much. Just to see all different age groups with technology, mm-hmm. with the traveling. Because it's, I mean, if people would have saw that like 30 years ago said, hey, pretty soon the four-year-old won't be a problem on a plane because he'll have a over-the-ear headphones on and his tablet. And he'll be absorbed in that yeah. for an hour. It won't even be causing a fit because there's nothing for him to do, right? So you see all these things. But f- funny little quick stories like when, my, when I was in uh, seventh grade, it was the first year Nintendo came out right mario brothers like that mm-hmm. was like i mean that was the huge thing it was like what 86 or 87 whatever it was. yeah it was so that came out and i remember my, but my brother and i we hardly played it because we were like huge into skateboarding and going to the mall so if it was a sunny summer day like we ate breakfast we packed a backpack we had swimsuit a basketball our skateboard my mom would just be like Dinner's at six. Right. Take some quarters or call me from your friend's house. Like the milk, like you could be anywhere. Right. For and no one hours. knew where you were because there was like you didn't have a phone. You couldn't track. Right. You couldn't track the phone where they at. But there, and there were rules. And, I don't want you know. Yeah, it wasn't like rules. the Wild West well, or anything. Yeah. No. Exactly. But um, but I remember we got this Nintendo, and then we were coming home. We were living in Houston at the time, coming back to Michigan for a winter break, and I had a little portable TV, like a little, it was like a four inch, you know, black and white. Had the radio, you could tune in. Yeah, it, but it took D batteries, so you could like take it with you, right? This was right. like I saved all my grass cutting money, bought this thing, <laughs> right? And then I figured out, it's like I wonder if the Nintendo could hook up to this. And with the power, uh, you know, the days of Winter Radio Shack, figured out how to like because that adapt the power adapter yeah. was that small one. Got a converter for the car, so the Nintendo could power off the cigarette lighter. Had I played Super Mario, like you know, granted, I had the full game <laughs> system yeah. and then and a little TV in the back seat. TV. But I was like, I'm playing Nintendo in the car, and I, my friends, we were like, like you're a cheat. And then now a kid is like, I tell a story to like one of these young guys that work for me. That's like 22, and he was yeah. like, Oh, and I was like, he's like, he's like, I already had a smartphone by the time I was there. I just like. I was on the on the. I was just like, yeah, but you didn't it was build so it. You didn't have to, to go to. You didn't have to go to Radio Shack and give them your phone number for like D t- batteries yeah. and and, a, and then and get a that dot matrix printer receipt that was this big for those things you bought. But I was like, I thought, you know, looking back, I thought I was genius, and it's like it doesn't even impress. No, the youngster, they're, no. They're like, well, like, that's like, so like that was just gigantic. Of course, and it would I don't work. want to. You know, it's I always the like, get off uh, my lawn thing. But yeah, like, but like there is a. I think there's also an ingenuity that came with with. With our generation that may have slowed down after that. Yeah. I don't want to say stopped because, like, I have a nephew who's really into kind of sort of this weird, like, sort of middle era technology. Yeah. He loves it. But he only loves certain things, and he and he really yeah. can't explain why. But he will he'll just, like, dive into it and, and pull it apart and yeah. try to understand it. Um, but but it, I think it, when you really, have that confines, right? I think that – I bring that in my artist statement all the time about things. That's why I love, like, when I do Scrap Fest, I said – because I think – you know, creativity within confines it produces. You know, it's like I think like back Lim- then it was like, hey, I don't have a lot of options here. But yeah, I can limitation can I, create better and results. You can push for it now. I think there are so many options and so many what ifs that people get. It's like when you hear people say. I was going to watch a movie last night, but after an hour of scrolling yeah. and watching trailers, right. I'm like, I'm right. like, you spend like, and, and I've done it myself, not 
that long, but obviously you're like, oh geez, I was like, it's like eight o'clock. Let me watch something. You know, it's like eight fifteen. You're like, I guess I should pick one of those. Sorry, like fifteen minutes goes by like that. Yeah. And you get because you get well, and you can that, do like, that just sitting there playing games on your phone and looking at looking at TikTok or whatever. My yeah. wife does it every night. You know, and next um, thing you know, it's like where did that I, go? <laughs> and that gets and well, and that gets back to that whole idea of like you know living deliberately and yeah. being intentional. So how do you? So what what do you do in your life to make time? I mean, you have a full time job. Yeah, you work a ch- shit ton of hours. You travel a lot. Um, it's harder than ever, I would think, for you to carve out time to to make art. Yeah. Well, how do you schedule that? How do you prioritize it? What works for you? Well, one of the the biggest thing that I incorporated to do that is one is fully embracing the, these two things. One. I say no to a lot of good things <laughs> intentionally. So intentionally I'm saying no because, you know, that's that's the killer right there is saying yes to all the things. They all sound great. Uh, most you, of them are most great. Most of them are. But, but you have a finite amount of time you and so you've got to make choices with it. And I found the second thing was, uh, well, you know, my friend Mark, Mark Hyper told me that we we're – a couple years ago, we were hanging out when you guys were playing like an avenue or something. And we were just catching up on stuff. And he was like, yeah, one of the biggest life things I've learned recently, especially when they were living over in Europe and stuff, he's like, especially combating against this fast-paced Western culture we live in, is like, you have to leave margin. Like, one of the reasons that people feel so defeated and they don't set themselves up for success is because they, like, over schedule, they cram up. Oh, look at all these great things. I got to put them all in my day. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and when you learn to, it's like, when you that balance of, I'm going to say no to this and I'm going to create margin. People are like, well, then you're really eliminating a lot of things. It's like, no, I'm just, I'm dialing it in. And for one, I don't always have to be doing something. I think it's okay. It's more than okay to say, like, I'm going to schedule some nothing time of like, like, like my weekends. Like, one of the reasons I like to get up early. It's because I do like to like make coffee, sit on my couch. Maybe I'll put a record on. Maybe I won't. Maybe the sun's coming in. If it's if I can hear birds, so maybe I'll just I'll watch the I'll sit there and all the artwork that's around me. Just kind of like look at that a little bit. And it's like having that little calm is such a recentering. That's the best of, time of day for me to read. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The best time of day. I I'll, I never read it. Espe- especially I I do read I mean, it at night. I, I, but, I should but, say it never, but, but my, I don't I read anything the, deep at night. Um, like, as I've as I've sort of incorporated some of this sort of daily routine, and one of the things I wanted to add was yeah. I wanted to just go commit yourself to reading twenty minutes a day. Yeah, and I I've been pretty good about it. I haven't been uh, as uh, faithful as I would like to be, but I'm working on yeah. it. But I find that if I make that part of my morning routine with my coffee. It's just a, it's a very yes. peaceful way to begin my day, and I tend to get up earlier than the rest of my family unless they have to get up for something. Sure. So I tend to have that time to myself usually, which is really lovely. Yeah. Well, and I think you know to sort of go back, it's like by being intentional about how I'm going to what I'm going to say yes to. For one, it's like I'm at a point where it's like I came to a realization uh, a number of years back, probably like probably during the height of COVID because so many things like Scrap Fest was canceled that year. It's like so many things were right. So things to look forward to. It's part of my, you know, and for whatever reason, I just made me reevaluate a lot of things and about like, you know, one of my friends was like, what are you going to quit your job and just do art full time? And I'm like, why does that have to be the goal? Like why, why do, why do I have to make doing 
a creative thing that I love, why do I have to make that the goal? And, you know, it's some, there's some of these people chirping like, well, if it's what you love, it's not really work. I'm like, oh, it's still work. Because trust me, I had my, my own painting business for a number of years, and it was a lot of fun. It was also a lot of work. And at the end of the day, it can also work, right? And also, I think if that's what you're wired as, as a creative, whether you're a musician, a sculptor, a painter, a poet, a writer, like a chef, you name it. It's like you will do that for your whole life. It doesn't not necessarily have to have a paycheck tied to it. Right. I mean, some of the, I mean, I've been at small places around the country to hear music being played. And you're like, listen to this person's voice or the way they're playing their guitar. Like you'll hear somebody say, Oh man, why is this guy on the radio? You know, and then you talk to this guy. It's like, man, I just come down here once a week and play. Cause that's what I like to do. He's like, yeah, he goes, like, I, I got my farm and come back here. And it's just like, you realize like, just, you don't have to have a monetary payout necessarily tied to your craft to validate you as a no, professional or anything else. You and so absolutely. taking that out of the picture, that is, is also freeing when you're going like, Oh, oh, I can oh do yeah. whatever I want. Um, I mean, uh, in the second episode of this podcast, I referred to myself as a tourist because I've never had to put the skin in the game to make a living at this. Yeah. I've been able to use my day job to pay for my creative endeavors. Sure. And what I'm trying to do now is figure out how do I bridge that gap? I'm not yeah. going to turn around and go, okay, how do I make $70,000 a year playing my guitar? But I also think there's a conversation to be had about what are artists really getting paid and what's necessary to have a sustainable cultural community. Sure. So when when I say things like what am I making, part of it's going to eventually turn into what are you making? Yeah. What are, you know, the joke I've I've been saying for a number of years is everybody talks about how they want to have cool things in their town. Right. And yet every town the size of Charlotte, Michigan and up has an Applebee's. Now, that's not because every town in America stood up and said, will you bring an Applebee's here, please? It's because people go. It's because that's what people choose to do on a Friday night when they overschedule their lives and they're busy. Yeah. And they decide, I'd rather go spend $3 less per person on this thing that is average and uninteresting and almost feels like a chore. Right. As opposed to driving 20 minutes to an independent place that maybe I'm taking a risk at because I don't know what I'm going to get. Sure. And I'm going to spend a little bit more money. I was having this discussion with my son this morning. We were just talking about things of quantity versus quality. And just this, You're having this, this chat with Joel? Yeah, with Joel. Who's 18? Yeah, he'll be okay. 18 in a month from today, okay. which All is right. crazy. But we were talking about just with food in general because he's made a lot of good habits changes. And I was like, good. I said, yeah, I was like, I was, like, I was talking to your grandma the other day which my parents are like you know 70s so they're classic boomers with a lot of like a lot of stuff right love them to death great people open like um lot i've seen amazing changes within the last couple years just with with the extended dynamics of like i said i said how crazy is it to have like boomer parents who are like kind of that right-wing evangelical and then your 20 year old son has a trans boyfriend but now they like to see that them like embrace and then and get to the point of like, I don't know, we don't understand it, but we love them, you know. And, and just to know like, okay, their heart is good, you know. But to see you realize it just gives me hope. Like, okay, like you know what? When you just have the relationship, you can talk about anything and understand that kind of things. But anyway, I get in these discussions with my folks all the time. Where yeah. someone on a lot of things where they're just like, even on the simple things, you were like, 
can you just take your boomer glasses off for a second? And just because it's always been that way. Well, I mean, in, to, in many respects, maybe the best way to start every conversation is we all ought to take our whatever glasses yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's get to this. This, <laughs> this discussion came up about how I said, uh, oh, yeah, I was over at, uh, at Foods for Living and I bought some of this organic, whatever. So it's super delicious and my mom was just like, "Well, I don't. We we just can't afford to eat like that." And it was, and it, and it was. It's like, well, a you can, <laughs> right? You can. First you of all, you don't want you, to. You just see that, and your mindset is, "I can't go to an independent like local grocery store right. because I can go over to Walmart." I said, "Well, you know, you're getting way overcharged there too for what? Like that's a whole separate thing." But anyway, we had, so I was talking very specific about fish, and I said, "I said, yeah, I think I'm going to try ordering some of this wild caught fish." My mom was like, well, how much is it? And I brought it up. She's like, well, we pay almost half that where we get it from. I said, okay. Well, how, I said, how many meals do you get out of that? Two. I'm like, well, what if you could get four? Well, that's too small because it's just it's not as satisfying. Like, so, but I was like, but I could buy this wild-caught fish. And if I eat the serving size, it's five bucks a meal. By making it a four meals, five bucks a meal. What you're buying is also five bucks a meal. Sure, you're eating twice as much so you think you have this value because i said so that's the, not a better quality that's the deal it's yeah the, it's you the price of everything the yeah. value of nothing right and so and I'm like, sometimes spending less is just better right. right sometimes but most of the time you're 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 sacrificing something yeah right so you can buy raw beans or you can buy pre-cooked beans in a can or a jar yeah okay what you're paying for there is time right that's what you're paying for, you know. I can pay for uh, a pre-made cake, a cake mix, or all the separate ingredients to buy a cake. Again, I'm largely paying for time. Sure. I'm also paying for effort. Uh, you know, what you're saying is I'm paying for a way that I know I'm going to be able to get the same fish in ten years, right? As opposed to overfishing, and in ten years, this isn't exactly. just this isn't just more so, expensive. It's unattainable yeah. for most people. I said, well, yeah, it's the sustainability of not only what I'm involved in buying it's also in the sustainability of myself i mean i heard a nutritionist the other day um who's on a podcast and their father's does stuff with finance and they were just and she was bringing this aspect of like listen i've had friends all the time that like come down on me for like well you're spending 30 percent more on your groceries by going here or by just going to the farmer's markets or doing like you're spending more money and she's like listen when it comes to your health like you're gonna pay for it now or you're gonna pay for it later. Time is like I was just telling Joel that today. We're talking. I was like, like he was like, because he can get really hard on himself at things. I'm yeah. like, listen, you're. I mean, you're 18. You see all these things. I was like, listen, the one biggest thing you, the best thing you have going for you right now in life is your age, and you have, you know, God willing, he said you have a lot more time left than I do. There's just a there's a lot more things. It's the only that if wealth- you learn. It is the only yeah. genuine wealth any of us will ever sure. have. Okay, so we can. Here's the deal: I can go make more money. Yeah, I can steal more money. I can sell the things in this room for more money. Yeah, I cannot go manufacture or acquire more time. I cannot yeah. do it. Yeah, I'm reading a book right now by this uh, th- this British writer and sort of philosopher named Oliver Berkman. It's called Four Thousand Weeks, and the concept of it is that if we all live to be roughly eighty years old, we're going to get four thousand weeks on this planet. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. Your kid has a lot of his more more of his four thousand weeks left than you and I do. Yeah, that's wealth. Whatever you and I are going to do with whatever time we have left. I mean, wasn't there like a sci-fi movie 
with I think with Justin Timberlake where they oh. were like like that was the currency right it was time like you either oh I don't know they, like you go stay at a hotel could be oh I need this many days from you or oh, you went and did this I'm gonna give you something so which is an interesting Intr- I have to look that it up I'm pretty sure oh. I remember I wow. haven't seen that but yeah that's a great concept oh my my of, whole my whole world outlook is now being shaped by Justin Timberlake <laughs> films but but um, I do like uh this I mean we, we've said a few times just there's a lot of different like eastern thought that has got so pushed away or like just ignored by our consumeristic mindset in terms of even what it takes to become like like a master or whatever like like in the u.s like the hours to be like a master electrician or a master plumber or a master carpenter or you, you name whatever it but is. But those things are also have, all done in pursuit of a certificate so sure. that you can create currency for you and yeah. an employer. But like in they're Japan, not about they're not about skill and craftsmanship no. and aptitude. It's, it's a formula and, for and actual mastery, right? Which is what the old sort of uh, you know master system was for. Yeah, but when you even like if you if you boil it down to just that those basic elements and you'll hear people say like what like 10,000 hours of practice or mm-hmm. whatever yeah like, that's the Malcolm like, Gladwell thing yeah but like a lot of the Japanese teachings are like for like woodworkers like oh man until you get 30,000 hours we don't even consider you being close to like master until you get 30,000 which is triple that right right like but because it's that mindset of and this is what when I was doing all my painting business and do a decorative painting I went to train with a guy out in a in Denver and it's, it's a philosophy that he shared with us out there especially when it comes to being an artisan like whatever whatever your craft is like he said seek to be a master craftsman and the elements that he said and it's very from a you know very Japanese teaching was that always be learning your craft always be doing your craft always be teaching your craft he said, otherwise, you're just a good technician or a good student or a good teacher. But it said, those elements, if you carry those elements throughout your whole life, you don't you don't hit a certain point and be like, all right, I'm done teaching somebody how to do this now. I'm done learning. I'm done learning. It's like, like, it yeah. said, it's like, do you want to be one leg of the stool or do you want to be that three-legged stool with that? Like, if you want, like, you have to be. And so I think as a creative, you're going like, if all I do is just focus on myself and create – I, I'm still – I've still put limits on that. Well, because everything you're creating is going to – It's in a vacuum. It's, it's, yes, it's because your 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 creations are going to emanate from whatever your world sure. experience is. So the more varied, open, and interesting your world experience is, that's going to translate to whatever work you create regardless of what medium you're working in, whether you're a sculptor or a playwright. Yeah. I mean, sure, Emily Dickinson's <laughs> – you know, probably the uh, exception to the rule. I think that, you know, things like travel and volunteer work and being involved in your community and going out and having dinner with friends or being part of a conversation over cocktails, something yeah. as simple as that. Those things are necessary, at least at least in my mind, right. to the creative process. You have to you have to sort of be regenerated by connecting with other people because it's at the end of the day, whatever we're making, it's all about sort of connecting with these ideas where we're sort of trying to understand ourselves, understand how to do whatever this work is that's interesting to us, and how to use that to talk to other people and understand each other. Well, and the connections that come with those three things when you're doing them in parallel, um, in terms of creating an intentional community with other people, whether I know them or not. Like one of right. the one of the things that's so satisfying. 
like doing scrap fest every year is people I've never met when you're hanging out by your sculpture and when you see how it connects with people, they come up and it speak, you know, they take photos of it or they get excited about it. And then they ask you questions about it. You realize like, well, how'd you make this? And just explaining that process in a way that's that teaching mode, right? Like, Oh, well, we took this. Well, how'd you bend it? Well, we had to put heat on this and we, Oh, that's really interesting. I was what, you know, and, and that dialogue, even if they're never, never going to make it, it's still a teaching mind. And then all of a sudden I walk, I've sometimes walked away from those conversations is like, I just thought of something. What if we did this the next time I do it? So I just taught myself I had something this, too, right? This is interesting because this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. And that is that when I was, when I was on my trip in Morocco, the last night that we were in Marrakesh, we, um, we went out as a group to this traditional dinner and it was, you know, it was for travelers and tourists, but it was in this old kind of ornate, uh, restaurant with these sort of fancy rooms and there were local musicians and dancers and all kinds of really cool stuff. And people just completely bought in. They were up and dancing and they were, you know, singing along and trying stuff out and getting photos, you know, being good tourists. And this thing goes on for like three hours and it's a wonderful evening. And as I'm walking back to the hotel, I'm wondering why do we only allow ourselves to be that open and curious a couple weeks a year? Yeah. Why do we shut that off? So why do, why do people come to a place like scrap fest and they go, all right, for 90 minutes, I get to turn it on. It's like we give ourselves permission to open up instead of just doing that all the time. Yeah. And I don't know. That's what I don't know how to change about myself and about the world. I like, I want to instill this curiosity and go, you know what? Chase that. Chase right. that even, even, and especially when you're doing the, the, the stuff in the doldrums, even the boring shit. Chase that. Sure. Wonder about that magical thing while you're brushing your teeth or entering <laughs> data into a spreadsheet. Yeah. Well, I think the, the immersiveness of some of those things is that we don't like just, just to even say, like, I would love being in that environment for three hours but you you and i both know people where you say oh this wonderful dinner was three hours three hours yeah geez i want to get in and get out you're right. like no like right like you have to have this like yeah. again you leave the margin you're you're missing i mean how many things what? do we miss out on because we we have intentionally created overlap with something we're like oh man i wish i would have stayed you know, like people like leaving like concerts early i've heard people say let's get out of here for the traffic spat. It's like, what if they do a second encore? Then someone says, oh, they placed, what? Oh, you should have stayed. Like, I should have stayed. Like, yeah, you, you were there. Like, really? Did it matter that you got out of the parking lot 40 minutes earlier? Like, you and, just missed and, an okay, opportunity. Okay, what did you do with that time? Yeah. Did you go home? Did you go home and go to bed? Probably did not. You go home and, did you go home and look at your phone? Did you go home and get lunch ready for tomorrow? No, you probably squandered it. Yeah. Because that's what most of us do most of the time. Yeah. And I'm just trying to do that a little bit less. The other thing is, I love your whole thing about saying no, about about going, that's a wonderful opportunity, but I don't want to, I, I just can't commit yeah. myself to that right now, or I'm, I'm focused on other things, but thank you for thinking of me and finding yeah. a nice way to say no. At the same time, part of my my new thing is to live a, bit, a little bit more like an improv lifestyle, yeah. like a yes and, and just go, yeah, I'm going to roll with that. and But then be able to go, all right, no, I'm going to... I'm going to, as opposed to, again, that all or nothing mindset where once I say yes, it's a full bore commitment yeah. for the rest of time. I remember the last few years, there's been some different art events where people have said, well, aren't, like the last couple of years, hey, are you going to do a booth at Scrap Fest this year? 
And I'm like, no. They're like, well, why not? I love your stuff. And there's and, – and more times than not, I'm thinking like, you haven't bought a single piece of my art right. ever. So for you to – and I'm not trying to be like in their face critical, but in my mind I'm thinking like, you're standing here telling me I should do a booth because I make great stuff. But yeah. you have yet to ever buy a piece of my art. Even and something to- that's priced – I was gonna say low enough to get, and I'm you like, deliberately have lots of work that's priced affordably. Yeah, so, so somebody who, so somebody who wanted, like, hey, I'm not asking you to spend 500 bucks. I actually have some pieces that are 50 bucks or 25 bucks. Right. And chances are you're gonna tell me you can't afford that. And you went to Starbucks three times last week and spent eight dollars a pop on a drink. You, you know what I mean? It's like you you, you had that money with no problem. But like, you, oh, you, this is my this is my thing about to, when to people see me there doing a show. But again, you didn't bring a single friend to buy a piece. You haven't like I'm like and I'm like, and not that that's the driving force, but it, it does. It is a reaffirmation of going like some of the people are screaming at, you at the loudest to be involved with something. Yeah, when it comes down to it, like they might pop in and say hi. Oh, your stuff's awesome, and I'm thinking like. Andrew, I wonder if you're gonna buy a piece this Andrew, year. Probably not. <laughs> I, I don't want to be a dick. Yeah. But there is a part of me that thinks of those people who behave that way as takers. Sure. Because what you want is you want a, a thriving art community that you can feel like you're a part of yeah. and and sort of swing through when it's convenient for you. Sure. To basically parade through this thing that you like having around, but you didn't do anything to earn it. And you're not doing anything to foster it and make sure that it's here next year. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, if you come up, like, I still have to have you over to my place the time you're downtown. But my living room, bedroom, and dining room in my apartment is pretty much all original artwork from That's local amazing. artists. Because I made a commitment to, like, and, and people come over and they'd be like, like, I like the vibe of this place. And they're looking around and I'm going, like, this all original art. And they're like, oh, I knew something was different. Like, like there's a difference. And but it, even and if you just made a something. commitment as a, as a person, like, as, a, as yeah. a person in your community and go, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to try to get one thing this year or this summer, whatever. Sure. And it's one thing that's been made locally and I'm going to hang it up in my house. Yeah. You know, um, that could be a, some, something as simple as an artist who's got a $5 greeting card. Right. And hang it up. It, people don't understand what a tiny little five or ten dollar purchase can do to somebody's it's not huge. only their ego, but their but their belief in themselves that this is a viable thing that people well, care think, about. Even if it's five dollars, but I think if I like friend Marissa as an illustrator and she does, she does, I almost always buy something for her, especially if it's because she has a lot of small things. I have a look. I have a like small art collection that I'm building. That I eventually one one day one of my walls probably have like. I probably have 150 pieces of things that are four by six or smaller from local artists. Some of them are originals. Some of them are prints, but they're all from That's local artists cool. or local things. And, and when people come over, it could be like, oh, yeah. But I, like every time you buy even something that's small, because I know because I have been there. I One year at Scrafest, I made a bunch of small pieces, just all scrap metal that I had. So just like whipped out all these little small sculptures, and they were 10 bucks. You know, I sold a bunch of them because like, some of these kids even bought a piece. They're like, Hey, I bought a sculpture and they walked away with it and they could take it home and put it there. But for me going like one of them doesn't seem that big of a deal, but I was like, well, I sold 15 of them. So it's a hundred, but it's also a way to kind of level you. 
Yes, which is even also the bigger a, part. it's also a way to level the playing field right. as to what people think of as owning a piece of art. Right. It doesn't have to be a thing with three, four, five zeros on the end of it. No, not at all. It doesn't have to be that way. What it has to be is it has to be something that somebody put some time and attention and some care into. Yeah. And you know sometimes that can be had for a ten dollar sculpture or five dollar greeting card or a you know somebody's ten dollar CD. Yeah. But. I just, th- I just a one dollar button that you put uh, on your a one dollar <laughs> a free button right. even yeah um well that's and that's the other thing like are you talking up the cool shit in your town are you yeah. telling your friends at work about it like uh, my friends are all in the know <laughs> but when something new happens when yeah. something new is cool when somebody's doing something interesting that that, that you know like when people when people's kitchen first opened. I knew it was happening, but I hadn't been. Right. You were like, you been to brunch yet? The coffee's really great. And I was like, oh, shit. And then Pops got a hold of me, and he was like, you been to brunch yet? The cocktails are really good. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then Jason got a hold of me, and he's like, I went for lunch. It's really great. And I was like, Ugh, it's kind of a thing happening. I better yeah. go, right? <laughs> right. But, like, not everybody's going to have a million friends who are on the hip. But, like... You know, if you're the cool one in your group, tell people, sure. tell people it's awesome and go. Well, I think it's the simple things like there's been like there's been times where I where I've gone to a record lounge, get some great finds, and I'll put that on Facebook like great pickups today. Shout out to Heather and like put a photo of what I bought because like what I want to see like hey look. I listen to some cool music. You should listen to this music too. But also, if you're looking to buy some, right, this where you should go buy it. So, so Andrew, what's funny to me is I look at that and I go, well, of course that's what you do. And I look at my behavior and maybe the behavior of many people I know and go, yeah, we all kind of do similar stuff, right? That would be more impactful if I could teach – to go back to what you were saying about being a master. Yeah. If I could teach more people to just take the time to do that. Sure. To go, hey, you know what? Today – we went and did this really neat thing and we went for brunch at people's kitchen and I didn't know what this place was and I was expecting Bob Evans and this was a whole new world for me. Right. And this is what was awesome about it. And then you tag them and then that's all you have to do. It's that bigger word of like you're being intentional about community, right? So it's, it's again, it's, like it's curatorial. If I, walk into, if I walk into Strange Matter and it's packed, there's a good chance I'm going to know somebody that's in there. So even if I don't, can't sit down with them, even just to have that, hey, what's up, Devin? Like, see, and we talk for a few minutes. All right, maybe I'll catch up with you the next time. Or my friend Tim's in there, whoever. Like, yeah. pop into the record store and looking for something. But chances are, I'm going to know somebody on a Saturday that's there. So it's not just transactional. It's it is that hey, I'll, maybe I'll see you next week when I'm back here. I'll see you. You know, I haven't seen you for. A while. And just so, from a mental health standpoint, it's amazing how much better I feel. When I just get out of my head and out of my house. Yeah. And I just go out into the world and I just go start doing stuff. Yeah. Lansing is a town of 100,000 people. Yeah. we Here's the thing. We're special because we're where we are, but we're not more special. There's not no. more talented people here than there are in another city of 100,000 people. It's yeah. are we accessing it? Are we looking at it? I think I think kind of a great place to sort of wrap up this whole conversation, um, in, in at least in the part of about like intentionality, is look what's happened in a city – let Grand Rapids that at one that at one time in my lifetime and in yours was part of a dry county. Right. And it now it now bills itself as Beer City USA. Right. Right? So it's it's not about whether or not people are willing to try stuff that's different. It's whether or not people are going to show it to them in a way that is appealing. Because people want cool shit. Right. 
Um, but people also have to understand that if they want that cool stuff, they, they've got to pay for it. They've got to say, you can't look at it like, okay, well, I paid $13 for my breakfast at Denny's and it was 17 at People's Kitchen. Well, you didn't get the same thing. Yeah. Not, not even. You didn't get the same thing. And that's what I always like when it comes to those value conversations. It's, yes. it's people will always ask me with art, right? When, when you know that they're buying, there's this weird formula when people talk to you about, well, how long that take you to make? They want to know how much am I paying you per hour for what you just made? Right. Are we right? talking about how much time I actually put into this thing? Or are we talking about the 30 years yes, of experience exactly. that it took me to get here? And it's not, and it's not because do you want to, do you want, well, the other thing is like, and as a musician and I'm working on a whole project right. on this, like my kids the other day went and spent $14 at, at uh, blue owl. Yeah. They got two coffees that they were disappointed in, and I'm not trying to out Blue Owl. Right. Okay, but they weren't. They just weren't very well made. They're still fans. They'll still go. It was fourteen dollars. It's four dollars more to get mediocre coffee than people spend on a Spotify membership. And at least Blue Owl got that money. I'm not getting the ten dollars a month. Musicians right. aren't getting that money. A tech company's getting that money. So if you think you like music and you're supporting music because you spend ten or fifteen dollars a month on a streaming service. No, you like free music, right? Well, it harkens back like when, when I was in high school, ev- like pretty much every Saturday morning for a half my sophomore year. So I started driving. My buddies and I, we would go to Warehouse Records in East Lansing almost every Saturday morning. Sometimes, some days I bought a, a single cassette for a song. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I bought a full length cassette, or sometimes I bought a CD. Depend how much money I had. Right. I mean, I, re- I remember buying a Chili Peppers cassette tape and an REM t- tape because they were each nine ninety nine, and I had twenty five bucks. And I was like, right. "Well, geez, if I buy the CDs, right?" And this was 14, probably like nineteen ninety. Yeah, nineteen ninety okay. ninety one. Right. right so there, think right? about that. What's what's ten dollars then? It's yeah. probably double that now. But I was probably like, at I least wanna, twenty bucks. But then I was like, "Well, I don't have a CD player in my car anyway, so I want to listen. Like, I want to listen to the." REM Green in my car on the way to school, so I'm buying that tape. Plus, when I get home, I open it up and I like unfold the paper yeah. for like two hours, sit there and like read everything in this fold out. Right? It's the experience, and I have music that I then put in my in my tape case and put in my car. And friends get it, like, "What do you want to listen to?" I mean, we're not scrolling the internet, but it's like we're no, have a tape. No, you zip open like, that little thing. I own this music. Like I I bought this. This is part of my collection. And it's a tangible thing. And there's a connection with seeing the same people working in there. Like, like I used to buy these import, like, mixes of, like, Depeche Mode. Sure. And, uh, OMD, all, all the, like, Erasure, all this stuff. I was listening. I was like, did you get any of these other club mixes from whatever show? They're like, like oh, yeah. They, like, you know, they pull out this milk crate. We got, like, got these ones in here. I'm well, like, don't right, you think, in a way, don't you like think this is it. kind of, like, you were talking about Amy. Don't you, at Vintage Junkies, don't you think this is kind of the future of retail? Sure. Like this is it's actually the present of retail. I mean, you don't need we don't need Sears anymore. We don't need some big box store to tell us no. I need all of this stuff and I can go buy a washer and dryer, a pair of pants and a wrench, right? Like I right. you don't I don't need a place like that. What I need is I need a place like October Moon. Right. To show me stuff that I didn't know existed in well, the world. Yeah, so, because it's so like all if, those shopkeepers. I mean, that's really what the term is, right? They are a shopkeeper, mm-hmm. right? A business owner and shopkeeper yeah. because they're curating. Yeah. Like what they find, like like you go to all those stores, October Moon, 
Grace, Bad Annie's, like all all my friends, like well, our friends, all those people down there, right? Like, yeah, we know them. And if you say like, oh, I got this city, or like you, sh- I guarantee you, you go to any store around Old Town, get five different things, put it on the table, and be like, where did I get this from? We could probably say like. You got that at Bad 80s. Yeah. Oh, you got that at October Mood. You got that at Grace. You got that at And, and chances Pilot. are pretty like, good, wherever you're listening to us having this conversation, yeah. you've got one of these relatively near you. You've yeah. got, you sure. got a store or two like this where somebody is doing – it has a what I would refer to as a real Stars Hollow vibe. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like everybody's real quirky yeah. and kind of eccentric and kind of leaning into being different. And it's awesome. And because of that, like Horrocks, like Rio Town, like downtown starting to become sure. again, it's becoming a place where people go and are attracted to just spend time because they're going to see interesting stuff and they're going to be around interesting people. And we're talking about this is this is a really interesting point too that I forget sometimes that because we've lived this way, I take for granted that other people know what we know, right? Exactly. So let me back up almost as a way to kind of sum up our conversation. We've spent all this time talking about being involved. I think I think I want to clarify what I mean by being involved because I haven't been clear. It's just doing stuff. Yeah. You and I are not going out and introducing ourselves and handing out business cards around town in a top hat. We're not going, hey, I'm Andrew Sandstead, sculptor, a man about town. Like we're not that's not like you just go to shit and you start talking to people and you have conversations. Now we're fortunate in that. We've done this long enough. We know a lot of people in town. But it's amazing. Once you know a few people, you're suddenly going to be able to know a lot of people real fast. Sure. So if you open up your world a little bit and you go do some stuff that's interesting and you really open yourself up to it, you're involved. That's involvement. Don't right. you think? Oh, 100%. I think that you – like I, I get some of these conversations where people will be like, well, don't you think you just want to like get out of Lansing sometime? And you're going like, like you realize the years of investment that you've put into something, and you're like, no, I just want to keep making it better. Like I don't need to go find it like somewhere else. And I think part of the the skin in the game is even if I'm not spending my dollars that day, just what that brings to other people. Like I said, like, when you go into someone's shop, and even if you just give them a compliment about like, hey, I don't really buy anything today, but man, you've done a really great job. Or like when I've gone in and see Amy, be like. Oh, you rearranged it for the last time. I like this layout. Oh, and then, and because you have that connection, they're like, and they're legitimately like, oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Or especially like, I'm sure you get this if you talk to other musicians. I've experienced this talking with other artists when they give you a compliment. And certain people, it's like, wow, that does mean, I'm not putting it on a pedestal, but coming from you, that means a lot because I really respect you and your craft. And so when you, when you recognize that, when someone recognizes. And I think, I think most of us are walking around and withholding a lot of feelings that we have about other people. Right. For any number of hangups. And we just don't say, you know, I mean, like, why does there have to be an excuse for me to go, dude, I, uh, I saw the thing in the living room today. And I remember when you gave that to me three years ago or whatever, and just go, Super glad I have that. This is awesome. Yeah. Hope you're having it. Like something as simple and innocuous as that can literally give somebody a sense of purpose. Well, it's the it's the level when you understand that you will never outgive kindness, right? Like, like I can give, like I'm, not, I like I am not gonna run out of that. There's a like within you if you tap into it, decide to take that approach as you go out and be kind to people. 
you won't run out of it. No, it's, it's a it's, renew, it's a renewable it's, it's a renewable resource for sure. I always I, I always use this, and I'll just this is a thought I want to just give you because um, I've used it a lot when I've spoken to other people, especially in my recovery. Yeah, but it, 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 it's very applicable to this whole vein of thinking. Is that like in the Middle East, how you have the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, and they're fed by the same river, and the river ends at the Dead Sea, which is like toxic, right? Nothing doesn't support life, but north of that is the Sea of Galilee, right? And it is like all kinds of fish, all kinds of aquatic. As much water comes into it, it puts back out, right? So it's thriving. Like it's getting it in. It's giving back out. It's not asking for it. It's not saying, do you want this? It's like bringing it in and putting it back. It's a vessel for that stuff. And it's thriving. And meanwhile, the Dead Sea takes everything. doesn't give anything away. And it can't support life, and it stinks, and it's rot. And it's like it's just ta- like you would say about people that are takers, right? It's like like the takers of a community are just going to be stagnant, dead spots. And the question is, are we going to spend our money in such a way that we're going to change that behavior? Right. Because right now, nobody is saying, "Here's some negative reinforcement for that choice," or not yeah. enough, right? So, but. I, one of the one of the things I wanted to ask you, and this is this has been great, and it's kind of gone all over, which I expected it would. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I really wanted to well, ask. I'm you a very was, non-linear was, person. Was no, figured out. <laughs> so did, it's very uh, ditto, and I'm also trying not to corral too much, so sure. we don't like like don't close off a thing. Right. Um, I would love to know, kind of the last topic of conversation. I would love for you to talk about because I think these things are all related to each other. Your Recovery, your sort of resurgence or maybe redefinition as an artist, and your divorce that all kind of happened in a relatively tight time frame. Is, sure. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, I I think I was sober about a year and a half when I went through my divorce. Okay. So that was like – so a lot of people in my at the time of my life are like, oh, man, if this guy goes back to drinking, it's probably going to be now, right? But yeah. I was fortunate enough that – I really feel blessed I was able to go to an inpatient program for six weeks because it was kind of like a greenhouse, right? It was like – it was very foundational because there's so many things that – when you're an alcoholic or an addict, like the substance abuse is like – you get to the end of that time. Like be, like if you don't end up in jail or dead <laughs> or you're going to end up – so like those are probably – when, when you get to the point in life where those become like the three obvious things that's – the direction your life. Those is are the possible go. outcomes, right? That's and it, it's going to one like all the roads you're on with things. They're all going to one of these these things, right? But the through by like, I mean, I, met, I used to be my therapist like twice a week. That first yeah. six months and once. I mean, the first year I was sober, I was like over 400 meetings. I think I mean I put a lot of work in because I've heard like my early my first sponsor was like, listen, no one's going to give it to you. You have to you have to want this. In fact, even when I made the decision to go to rehab, quit drinking, it was my ex wife. She uh, she came home from work one night and she was like, and we've been having ongoing discussions about my drinking, other things, always affecting certain things. Uh, she's like, I don't, I don't want to really like get in your face about about your drinking. I just want to know when you're going to stop lying about it. And all of a sudden, I was like. Ooh, that was like character defect to the heart, right? Yeah. Like going like, am I a liar? Is my whole, like, is my life a lie? Like the, and all of a sudden you start like, like delving into like, what are all the things that led up? Because it's like, how did I go from being like, hey, 
drink some beers, have fun on the weekend, right. to being like an everyday drinker and self medicating drinker, and you know all that's that downward spiral. Like it's only how long go. do you think you were a self medicating drinker? Oh, for years. I mean, probably a solid four to five years okay. of of being in that mode. Right. So it's okay. very hard. But when you get to the core of like, what am I doing? Like I, I used to think, but I was doing scrap fest during those years or painting or doing things. I used to, I used to have this weird mindset, like, and it's self-deception, right? It's a self-deception of like, well, for me to be a real creative, like, of course I'm going to drink. Like I can't tap into that. It's like, there's no way I can really be experimental with this kind of art or tap into these. Right. Yeah, it's real, like, real creative like, whatever, genius. Right. Instead of end up being passed out drunk and like, well, I guess I didn't make anything last night because I was already here. But I think there was a, there, there came a point probably around two years into my sobriety where just different journaling and reading I was doing, I was like, oh, no, I could – I have access to all all these emotions and feelings that I was completely shutting out and not dealing with or situations in my life where, like, I don't want a resolution on this. I'll just I'll just drink. It doesn't put it away. It's like it's like if I brought a, if I brought a brand-new piece of, like, cut steak into your office, right, in the shadio – threw it under your rug like later day you might be like that except for the bump in the rug you're like i don't know what that is right or like a two a day or two later you're like man there's a little bit of, did I take the trash out there's a little bit of a funk and then a week later oh yeah in the summertime you're like something reeks and then yeah. finally you're like what's dripping through the floor it's like covering it up and just right. masking it. like it only gets worse it's never gonna get better yeah. until you intentionally go like i gotta get rid of this yeah. thing but then when you get rid of it you're like now what? Like I, it just does like like that's filling a void from something. So how do you channel that those feelings and emotions and those energies? You know, and part of it's learning to be like like this is who I am. Part of it, that whole self self discovery process of like who am I? And now if I fast forward to where I'm at with things, and especially the last couple of years with doing my art, you know, it's like my friend Jeff that's been on my team for Scrap Fest the last few years, like. I was fortunate enough. I did Scrap Fest one year. I got second place doing it on my own. And, and as it, did, they pulled some guys in as a team. We got second place. So we had two years of first places and a people's choice. Like, like we did the thing. We got some accolades for it. It felt good. But at the same time, like this last year, I'm like, I don't do it for that, though. Right? Like, what I, I sound like, like, what am I going to make this year? It's, we've always been kind of like doing botanical things or this or that. And we both, Jeff and I, independently, about two weeks ago, we started, because applications are out, we're like, what do you want to do this year? And I was like, I was like, I don't want to do a garden thing. I just, I don't want to do a represent, I was like, I just want to make something kind of abstract, but I just want to make something that we just feel. Because I said, I love when like this last year, like I love that when people came up to what we made and you see the smile on their face, like the significance that you probably experience this with doing music, like when with something you created is meaningful to somebody else and it has nothing to do with the fact that they bought it or they even whatever it is, it's like they saw that. It's like when you go to a, a museum, you're like, like this guy painted this 300 years ago and this is bringing me to tears because it's resonating with me. And, do, and sometimes the significance, you take the dollar and the awards and all that stuff aside, it's like, am I doing things that are creating significance not only in my life, but in somebody else's life? And I think like with the community that we're in, it's like, like if it sells for something or places, cool, whatever. But at the same time, it's like, 
when you walk away at the end of the day, like, I, I don't know, I, I just feel good about this. And uh, you can't always put a price tag on no, things. No, and, and I, I think that's, I mean, that, what a beautiful thing. That's, that's what I'm talking about. So yeah. what I'm saying is, if you're involved in the community, that's what you're trying to create. That's what we're yeah. trying to build in different ways. But if you're not a part of that community right now, that's what's out there. Yeah. And that's part of my thing is trying to bring people into this world and saying, look, you know, there's a lot of shit that I find terrifying and depressing and anxiety inducing in this yeah. world. And there's a lot of reasons to fear things. But the best things in my life, the best people in my life, the best moments of my life that are not sitting in that house right now that are direct blood relatives. Yeah. Everything else came from art. Yeah. It came from going to shows and playing in bands and being in plays and uh, going to museums and being interested in community events and talking to people and then getting involved in activism and in volunteer work. My life is so much richer and so much better for it. Everyone I know feels that way, like you. Yeah. That's why you're here. That's why we're talking about this. And so for me, I guess the big the big thing I'm wondering is how do we open the tent? How do we make more people feel welcome? What is what do you think is keeping people from getting involved? It's not, it's not I don't think I don't think it's money because I think they spend money on stuff that's way dumber. Not I don't mean dumber in, the, sure. in, that, in that sense, but like I don't think money's the impediment. No. What what is? Um uh, I I I still think for most people the the perception of, especially when it comes to like buying, like I will just use the term loosely, art for their home or with the music mm -hmm. they listen to, right? So many people make so many of those choices based on what they think the people around them want them to make and what society is pushing for them to make. And instead of just like embrace what you love, like I like there's bands like all of the like like all you guys are the sticker rounds, right? Like you all have very like there's a lot of music that you all probably love, and mm -hmm. there's some things like I can't believe you have this in your record collection. I, yes, I, right. But yes. at the same time, it's like, you know what? That's your guilty. And why do we have to call something like? You don't like, I hate listen, the term like, guilty like, pleasure? Like if I put Dua Lipa on my playlist, why do I have to say like? Why? Well, here's my guilty pleasure thing because what? Okay, it's why pop should you? Why there? should you no. feel guilty for liking something? I don't. Right. I, I don't like that so standard. I, I move away from that uh, continuously. So I I love I love what you're saying um, in that in that you know we're all going to sort of I think what you're saying is we're all sort of going to bring our own different perspective right. into it. Um, I I worry because I've done this to myself. Like one of the things I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to learn how to meditate. Yeah. And for a long time, I just told myself, well, I'm not the kind of person who can meditate. I can't do it. Sure. I'm not built for that. Well, that's because I'm not working at it. I'm not built it's for new to I'm, you. Yeah, it's new to me. It's it and it's a skill set that I don't possess, and it is. In many respects, it runs contrary to so many things that I do naturally. Right. All the more reason to invest a little time in trying it, right? Yeah. So instead of saying, I'm not a person who does dot, 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 what if we all stopped for a second and just asked, what would that be like? Yeah. Don't do it if it feels uncomfortable, but what would it be like? Well, I think in terms of kind of what you're asking with like getting the community or people like like I don't just ask people to like go check out Scrap Fest to see the art. I mean, it's obviously it's an art festival in yeah. itself right now. What I love to do is like oh, I've got you should come meet my friends. Like I've become friends with a lot of these guys over the years that I've been like my friend Steve lives in Chicago, right? 
like I got to meet I've met him when he first did Scrapfest and we've we message each other and keep in touch and like someday we want to do like we're both huge like diehard Star Wars geeks about stuff so like we'll talk about like someday like oh man we gotta do our our, a show do a Star Wars show someday about scrap metal we'll come over to Chicago like we we talk about these things and we may never do them but hopefully we will but sometimes the excitement and the anticipation of like the what ifs from it like just gets you just the wavelength of somebody else who is excited about ideas but then I'll be like you know so my he's a Navy veteran he was a CB and my dad a Navy veteran, so like my dad came to scrap and said, like, "Hey, you got you got to meet Steve." And then like they, they start talking about some Navy stuff. Well, then Steve was like the every year like the big veterans group does this huge art show. It's in a different city every year. And a few years back, maybe 2019, it was in uh, Battle Creek. So Steve messaged me like, "Hey, I got I got have a piece in the show this year." So my dad and I like drove down to Battle Creek and went to the the show and like saw his piece and like went to the uh, you know and it was like. The art became secondary. The relationships and those connections are there. So I think sometimes it'll be like, hey, you got to come see my buddy's band. They're playing at the Avenue. Oh, the Avenue sucks. It. There's a bunch of weirdos there. I'm like, but have you met some of them? I'm like, because you might think like there's people there. Like it's always funny. Like people make so many like profiling judgments on those things or, or just about where a place is. I'm like, I was like, I'll tell you what. Some of the, some of the best people I know are like, maybe are the weirdos but they're some of the biggest givers they have the biggest hearts they have like the things they're doing for their community and helping people with uh, the people doing that. the people doing amazing work in this town and in so many towns don't have any money no they're doing it all threadbare they're people like Julia Miller yeah. who are out there trying to raise awareness for causes and raise money and feed people and keep them from overdosing and keep them alive yeah and she's doing it with a few thousand dollars of grant money and some volunteer help. Yeah. And that's just one example out of hundreds. But yeah. like every community's got these. And again, like there's a whole community of us, and I'll include myself in this, where we're all just we're letting somebody else pick up that slack for us. Right. Because we are not we don't have the time or the energy or the ambition to go do it. But if we all just were a little more mindful, I think. Yeah. I think we could I think we could create a world that was more like the world that we want to have. Um it's, it is intentional. It's the intentionality. And then also, like, which we've talked about several times, is it's being deliberate about what you say no to. Because sometimes, like, well, wh- why can't you go next Saturday? Do you have anything going on? No, but I might. Well, what about this? I just, I'm not, like. No, I carved like, out. I used to, like, I used to be a huge, like, when I was in high school, college. And I still watch some sports. Every year I've watched less, less and less, right? So my yes. parents will be like. Hey, we got ticks for the football game this Saturday. Do you want to go? We're, we're going to go at 11 and get some lunch. And I was like, no. I said, maybe I'll put it on the radio. What are you doing? I said, I want to go work on some art. Yeah, but you love football. I'm like, I don't love it enough anymore to go spend six hours on my Saturday right. when I just work 70 hours in the week. Like, right. I don't want – like, yeah, it's awesome. You got free tickets. You got free fo- – all that stuff that does – yeah, that – Oh, you don't – and then it's that discussion. But I'm not saying I don't like it. Well, I'm just saying I too, don't but like the other it enough too, this week to sacrifice this for that. So the other thing to think about there too is – and I'm not telling people not to spend money on the things that they love. Right. But an endeavor like that is thriving and doing great and doesn't need your help. Right. Right? Yeah. So you can walk away from that and go, yeah, I don't want – those tickets still got paid for. Those right. hot dogs are still going to be eaten. Right? So it's not like – 
you decided I'm not going to the avenue to go to this show or I'm not going to go see this art opening. Right. There's been so many times where I've said no to some of those types of things. And then I was like, oh, I totally like there was a time where I came to see you guys play. Totally forgot about the show. Mm-hmm. And if I would have gone to a game, I would have missed that show. And I was like, right. you know what? Going down to the avenue and spending 15 bucks on non-alcoholic drinks that they do have there, which thank you. I'm yeah. thankful these places are having more. But spending my money there, seeing like good friends of mine play music that I love to listen to live, seeing probably 15 other people that I know there, right. and maybe some people I haven't seen for a while. Like that is way more fulfilling. Like I'll I'll go home and go to bed and be like, man, what a great night. And yeah. And instead of being like going home, be like, I can't believe it took. Like here's a, okay, you know, here's it's a, like. You know what? Here's I'm gonna I'm gonna craft this and we'll we'll end the show here. We'll we'll end the discussion here. Um, what if we just woke up and said something simple and totally corny like, "What can I do to make today a little more special?" It it truly is a gift. And again, that's another one I used to recoil from. Yeah. But what can we do to make today a little more special? I think that's I think that's a great little writing prompt. Oh yeah. So, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Do it again. You gotta love him, right? I mean, he's just a freaking peach, man. He's the best. I don't know how we got so lucky here, but we did. Go find your town's Andrew Sandstead. Andrew, thank you so much. Wow, wow, thank you doesn't even begin to cover it. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for your friendship, your support, your belief, and everything you do for our community and for this little band of brothers and sisters we got here in the Midwest. Thanks, brother. Thanks for being here. Thanks for thinking and talking about important stuff. Thank you to listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for supporting. Again, please consider a paid subscription over at Substack, whatamimaking.substack.com. Bunch of different options over there for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. On that front, as always, want to make sure that I thank my dear friend David J. Baldwin, also known as Teutonosaur. David will uh, have a record out under that name, hopefully later in 2023. And uh, David did our lovely, lovely theme music. And uh, it's it's been really great to have that the last couple episodes. Lots of fun. Uh, lastly, I forgot to mention in the intro, I announced this week that I have a whole big run of house shows that I'm going to be doing in the first half of July. That is actually why season one ends at the end of June, so that I can spend a couple of weeks going out and hopefully seeing some of you. Uh, you can find more information over at phone04records.com slash slash house shows that's really hard to say all the slashes and houses and anyway my elocution will be better on the road by this summer because i will have been doing tongue twisters and lip exercises sure i will i will have at least done 90 days worth of podcasts right you know however many weeks that is we're gonna have one of those for every week because that was what we agreed to in the beginning remember anyway i'm gonna be out on this run of house shows if you don't know what a house show is, go on over to my website, check it out. There's a post over on the Substack that's there as well that'll give you the link to all the details. If you're in the eastern half of the U.S., there's a pretty good chance I'm going to be coming not too far uh, from your place. 
And uh, I'd love to either have you come out and come to a show or maybe you want to host a show. Hosting is probably easier than you realize and uh, is a pretty simple process. And uh, we can learn more about it together. So go ahead and, you know, go over there. 404records.com slash slash house show. See, I did it again. I'd love to uh, I'd love to come out and see you. Thank you again to David for the theme music. Thank you to Andrew for being a guest. I have more great stuff coming up next week. Make sure you look for this week's essay on Wednesday. And until next time, I will see you soon. Be well, my friends. Production to Mighty C and his ADHD.